We continue coming to God's Word now in Romans chapter 16. I'll begin reading in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain. Plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that we have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the moral God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and exchanged it and and exchanged the truth of the God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen this is the word of the lord as we come under this word today and are invited to consider not only that portion of, of chapter 1 of Romans, but also as it will lead us right into chapter 2, I share with you this story to see, I hope, how this word speaks into our lives. It's a story I read in a book by uh, a hero of many in the youth ministry world, Mike Iaconelli. Some years ago, he wrote the book Dangerous Wonder. And there, he wrote about God's grace. He tells this story about a time where grace was revealed uh, in an unusual place in his life. You see, Mike Iaconelli and his wife not only pastored a small church in uh, Northern California, but they also worked with teens there. And one such team, a boy, had come into a period of his life of great hardship. His dad was an alcoholic, and it was impacting every aspect of their family life, hurting him and his mother. It was a rough, rough year. And so the Iaconellis, Mike and Carla, walked alongside that family, walked alongside that boy throughout that rough time. It was not easy. Time passed, and the Iaconellis were doing a home project. They were having some 
if I recall, some tile installed, and they had pre-ordered it from their local hardware provider, and that provider was to also provide an installer. But unfortunately, their regular installers uh, were all occupied, and the person that uh, they had assigned, a new person, was none other than the father of that boy. And immediately, when he was on the phone, thought, oh, no, you can't send that guy to my house. I know all about him. I know what he's done to his family, how he's treated them, how he's hurt them. I don't want that crook coming to my house. Well, as he continued on the phone, he soon discovered, uh, not that you've ever experienced this, that the Uh, If he said no to that, then the wait would be long uh, before the tile could be installed. And so, begrudgingly, he said, well, I'm going to keep a close eye on this guy. You can let him come, but I'm going to make sure that I have a written estimate and that he follows it to the letter. I'm not going to be taken advantage of by him. I'm going to make sure he does the work that he is supposed to do. And so... The day arrives and he shows up to their home and Mike Ekinelli keeps to his word and oversees the project closely, watching to make sure that this installer is doing what he promised to do. Making sure that the job was done right. And it came time to pay the bill. And he said, well, just come down the hall to my office and I'll write you a check. He said, well, there's something I need to talk to you about on the invoice. He's like, all right, well, just talk to me in my office. And he walked down the hall, Mike did, and he said to his wife, I knew it. He's going to try and cheat me. I just, I told you this was going to happen. You just listen. I'm going to, I'm going to not let him get away with anything, not this guy. So the gentleman comes down the hall to his office and says, uh, sir, there's something I need to talk to you about, the invoice Mike kind of sits back in his chair. He is ready to fight. Now, you're not going to get away with anything today. And the installer continues and says, you know, some time ago, uh, I was drinking too much. I'm an alcoholic, and I was hurting my family in pretty significant ways. And in many ways, uh, hurting my son and my wife. And I wasn't there for them. But during that time, you were. You were there for my son. It's made all the difference in his life. And so I'm not going to charge you anything for today's work. Mike kind of swallowed, you know, to receive this moment that he didn't expect. And all the while, realizing that he'd been the recipient of grace, but also exposing his own self-righteousness and judging heart. And this experience and this exchange, in many ways, reveals for us what we're about to encounter in this part of the letter of Romans. A part that for many of us is shocking. Shocking because it exposes us. 
exposes our sin and the evil that we do, and we'll get a list for that that I'll share with you in just a moment. But more than that, as you turn the page into chapter 2, it also exposes our heart. Romans chapter 1 and 2 also are shocking because of something else. We discover as Mike Iaconelli discovered behind that desk that day that God's grace is even bigger than we imagine. And then finally, we'll discover that in this text, something else shocking, something that surprised me that after hearing a sermon about it, I had to go back to the text and review. Is that, is that really there? Did I hear that right? Shocking because it tells us that in this exposure, in this reality of God's grace being bigger than we can imagine, we can know. It reveals to us that we can know, especially in verse 19 and 20, we can know God. Well, let's turn first now to verse 26 and following, where Paul is making an argument. He's making an argument for the power of the gospel. And after giving us the introduction that the power of the gospel is by faith and faith alone, it's interesting that we get this list of behaviors. He says in verse 26 and following, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, Maliciousness, they're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them. Now Paul adds this, but give approval to those who practice them. Quite a list. But of course, you and I immediately, uh, unlike Pastor Iaconelli, who I told you about, he said, well, that, that list isn't me. I mean, I'm not there, right? Frequently when our hearts say, uh, I don't need to give that to God, then quickly we realize uh, maybe we need to come before God again in humility. After all, this list is hard for us in a couple of ways. Not only because of what we've done, but also because of what we think we haven't done. But when we're careful readers of it, we find quickly that there too, we have been exposed. This list particularly for Greeks and Gentiles, that Paul wants us to know 
In fact, he gives us this list as part of a larger argument. This is a list of sins that everyone would agree is horrible. Like that dad in the story. Whose evil we must all agree must be condemned. But just when you feel, at least I'm better than that, as maybe some of the Jews might think of the Gentiles on this list, you come to chapter 2, where sitting behind the desk, your self-righteous hearts are also condemned. You see, we have a crisis, as one author put it, and as all argue, we have a crisis in the church when we try to add anything to God's Word, or including our own sense of righteousness to save ourselves, or when we subtract. So when we ignore something in God's Word, or when we just think, well, all you need to do is really just try harder. After all, we, we deserve better we think. This gets exposed, our self-righteousness does, sometimes in our lives in times of deep crisis. For example, we reason with God, God, why did you let this happen? After all, I was going to church every Sunday. I was doing my best. I was being a, a, a good Christian. I thought that wasn't part of the deal. And then immediately in that moment, we realize we've exposed ourselves as really not leaning on Christ for our salvation, but our own works. And so whatever circumstance we might be walking through, however slippery or hard it may be, we can trust in the God who is with us. And it's not about us being in control. I remember a time uh, living in North Dakota for a bit, and I was in a pickup truck with a farmer, and he wanted to take me from the camp I was serving at to go fishing, and it was in the middle of winter. And we drove over to Hami Dam, and uh, he knew I liked to fish. I grew up on the West Coast, but our fishing was a little bit different there in January. And as he drove towards the lake there at the dam and got closer and closer to the water and he wasn't stopping, I was getting nervous. <laughs> and pretty soon, he was right out there on the water in this big dually uh, pickup truck on top of the ice. All I could do was trust. <laughs> right? Trust that he knew better than I. That the ice was thick enough. That's what God calls us to do. When life feels slippery and out of control and outside our frame of reference, we're called to trust. I like how N.T. Wright translates verse 31 as this text exposes those of us on the list, those, you know, those people that we say, uh, at least I'm not that kind of people, only to find out that it, those kind of people, 
That's who we are. N.T. Wright translates it as people who are unwise, unfaithful, unfeeling, uncaring. Can't be us, right? Chapter 2 makes certain that we know it is. We can't subtract anything of that list or we subtract coming to the Gospel. We can't add anything to that list or we risk not coming to the Gospel. And so the law exposes us that, no, turns out we're not in control. It's the power of God that is. And that leads us to the all-important next shocking point of this text. That God's grace is bigger than we can imagine. As Paul makes his argument soon to be culminated in a subsection in chapter 3 and finally in chapter 8 of Romans, that God's grace is bigger. That God's grace can cover all of these sins. These sins that everyone agrees upon. And even the invisible sins of the heart. You see, this list is given to us because we're worse than we think we are. And grace... As one pastor put it, it's bigger than we dare to believe. Karl Barth, the great 20th century theologian, put it like this on this text. The wrath of God is, as we hear in this text, is simply the righteousness of God apart and without Christ. Martin Luther would put it like this. Only the prisoner will be free. Only the poor shall be rich. Only the weak will be strong. Only the humble exalted. Only the empty field of nothing shall become something. You see, Paul's taking us back into creation. God created the world out of nothing. Ex nihilo. From His Word. And from that same Word made flesh. He does out of the nothing of our righteousness, He does the something with His righteousness, His Word. Or as our Jake Grunewald put it, the Gospel is, we find out, for all people. It doesn't pick and choose based on race or gender. It doesn't discriminate based on the severity of your sin. And it doesn't play favorites to the pious or the religious. Grace is the unmerited favor of God for all people. And the only requirement, he writes, is that you be a sinner. Yes, indeed. God's grace is bigger than we can imagine. And this leads us to the third and final shocking point that we'll examine from this text today. We can know God. God is revealed here. God is revealed and it's shocking. I heard Pastor John Lim preaching on this text. He was preaching about how how this text, verses 19 and 20 in particular, can really show us that we can know God. It's almost apologetic or a defense, he would go on to say, for the fact that this is the very face of God. And he uses a counterexample to make his point by 
quoting the atheist from NYU, a professor there, Thomas Nagel, who writes, I'm a, I speak from experience, being strongly subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true. And I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. He goes on to say, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope that there is no God. Why does he hope that? Because he wants to be, Nagel will reveal in other ways as he continues to write, he wants to be in control. He doesn't want to be exposed. He doesn't want to need that great grace of God. But as C.S. Lewis points out with his moral reasoning, it leads us back, as we hear in this text in many ways, to God. C.S. Lewis will write, for this, first, that, that they were haunted, that when he says they, he's talking about us, by the idea of some sort of behavior that they ought to practice. It's on our hearts and minds that there's a sense of justice and rightness that must be achieved when we live this life. He goes on to write what you might call fair play or decency or morality or the law of nature. But then the second is also true as he writes that they did not, in fact, do it. We see that in human history. That we're exposed. But God's grace is bigger This is the arching argument that Paul is making that that list and our dark hearts cannot stand before the invisible attributes of God have now become visible when Jesus enters history. Pastor Lim will point out that uh, we want credit where credit is due. We want to take the credit. But the indivisible, invisible attributes that this word reminds us of is that we, we want to suppress that, that work of God because we want the credit. Our very pursuit of justice points that there is a God that we can know. And our inability to reach it points to our need for a Savior. So quoting Pastor Lim again, credit where credit is due means that we would need to be the ones to go to the cross. But Jesus went to the cross for us. So I invite you friends as we hear this text, which is shocking and surprising in our day and age as it was when the Apostle Paul first wrote it, Trust Jesus even when you're navigating on the ice. Trust Him and only Him. Because we are exposed. Because God's grace is bigger than we can imagine. And as we encounter in His Word today, as the invisible becomes visible in the incarnation of Christ Jesus, we can know 
God. Amen.